Okay, are you ready? Um, so, my name's Faye, and I'm going to be playing Sam. And this Hi. is Tom, and he'll be playing Jacob. Yep. Okay. Uh, Faye, did I tell you that I saw that play about David Bowie? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really shit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, this isn't the play, by the way. I just wanted to tell Faye before... Look, sorry, anyway, I, I just expected something I could really relate to. Yeah, you really love Bowie. Yeah, but it was just, well, shit. Because, like, David Bowie is so many different things to so many different people, right? And if you go in expecting one particular thing, one, I don't know, particular aspect that obviously matters to you, you're going to be disappointed. So I told myself, don't ever agree to do a show that even mentions David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> so, you ready to start? <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Um, just let me get some water. Uh, okay. Uh, ready? You? Yep. Okay. Here's Like Lions. They're in bed, Sam and her new girlfriend. The record player begins to skip. Sam gets up and switches it off. It's a student house, feet walk on stained carpet. Whatever happened to Bowie? She says. It's 2011. In two years' time, Bowie will reappear with a surprise new single. And four years after that, he will disappear again with his surprise death. He's just gone silent. She says. In a week's time, people will set up tents outside St Paul's Cathedral. Sam will be there. In a few years' time, others will set up tents beside a lake and they will fly inside them. I will be there. Meanwhile, in Sam's student house, a small flat screen. On it, a midweek, midday documentary plays on some forgotten Freeview channel. Images of a town on the outskirts of Liverpool. Skelmersdale, a 1970s camera captures 1960s new builds. Semi-detached, Sam's girlfriend watches. And back at home, in a semi-detached, I watch along, and I'm fucking hooked. A week later, I'm outside St Paul's, placard in hand, surrounded by a society of tents. Jacob is there, Skemmelsdale. I drift through the suburbs. My feet walk on cracked concrete. Chip shops and garden fences and white vans, gang sign graffiti. Over roundabouts, no traffic lights, just endless, endless roundabouts. Red brick semis, neighbourhood watch, until suddenly, suddenly a golden glow in front of me across the road stretching from left to right the golden dome of enlightenment it bursts through the suburbs growing out of the takeaways and daytime tv and nine to fives erupting through the net curtains and begonias and dog shit the golden dome like a glint of precious metal in a field of dirt just it's the otherness of it that affects him the perfect simplicity of its not-supposed-to-be-there nature. But it is. What? Not supposed to be there. But it is. In the suburbs of Skelmersdale. Um, that's when it started. For both of us. Yeah. There's a few beginnings. That's one. You in the suburbs and me in a tent. OK. Let's take a moment. In 2018, we spoke to a lot of people... Young people. Youngish. 
And they told us... What they hope for. How they feel. And what they worry about. What makes them cry. We asked them, are you happy? Are you lonely? Do you regret anything? In the 2016 referendum on Britain's exit from the EU, what did you vote for? Have you got a Blue Peter badge? <laughs> What's the best way to show a soft boy you're not interested? Uh, did you go to university? Was it worth it? Oh, how many smashed avocado brunches have you had this month? Do you sometimes look at old friends' Instagram accounts late at night with a weird, empty feeling in the pit of your stomach? Ooh, question time or Love Island. <laughs> uh, are you tired of being tired? Try Floridix. <laughs> uh, when and how will you ever learn to cook the right amount of pasta for the right amount of people? How long is long enough? What keeps you from tumbling into the deep, dark pit of despair that we're constantly circling around and around and yet always drifting ever closer towards its inevitable and inescapable centre? The sweet, sweet release of death? You know, um, the usual... Then in 2020, we spoke to some of the same people. And a few new ones. And asked them what had changed in the past two years. How had the exit from the EU, the massive Tory majority and, of course, the coronavirus lockdown affected their lives, their outlooks, their futures? Yeah, some of their responses and the discussions made their way into what you're about to hear. Take it as a small snapshot on the collected ideas, worries and hopes of a generation. Or just take it as a story about two twins who are growing up after the millennium. That's what it is. And isn't. We don't have all the answers or questions or a point, really. But what do you care? We are just playing characters in a play that is now being recorded over the internet and that you will probably be listening to wherever and whenever you are expecting, well, a little bit more than this. Let's get back to it. Quick introduction. It's now 2009, the year of the prospectuses. I mean, picture them. They're in piles on my bedroom floor. Doorstop thick books made of doorway thick paper. Thicker the better. Oh, that's what oh, she that's said. That's what she said. Look, Sam, a predestined path has led us here. Some kind of holy walkway designed for us to stride toward the future of education on. And so it was written that the Mason twins would traverse into the wide world of university, never to look back on past mistakes, always onward to the next exam, down the long rainbow road of education. Isn't that from Mario Kart? Yeah. <laughs> How am I supposed to lay down some sort of future plan when I don't even know what I want to do? <laughs> How come you've got it all sorted already? Well, predetermined Rainbow Road, thanks Mario Kart. And thanks to Mr Chatterley for rewriting my UCAS application for me. He only did that for himself, you know. Either he fancies you or just really what? wants you to go to uni. <laughs> if he fancies me, he would have made me apply for somewhere closer to him. No, not if he's sending you away because he just can't resist you when you're so close. The tortured <sighs> college tutor, lusting for young Jacob, but never giving in to his desire 
sending his love away just to keep himself sane. <laughs> Cry wanking to your yearbook photo in the toilets. Oh, nice. A couple of years ago, I would have been happy forever just, I don't know. Playing Mario Kart? Yeah, actually. Good one. Which one of these unis does a degree in fucking Smash Brothers again? Twat. Ow! Their mum drives them Us. to the university we both chose. Bin bags full of clothes, boxes of crockery and cutlery bought from a small shop on the high street after the Woolworths had closed down that summer. We collect keys and student cards and weird first meetings with new flatmates. Feet walk on communal hallways. I meet my soon-to-be best friend Alex that first day. He's studying psychology too, so we go to some freshers events together. We toilet paper each other up as mummies. That kind of thing. Hey. Hey. Have you actually been to lectures yet? Um, I did some induction thing, yeah. We all had to go around the room and find someone who's been to Megalith, someone who likes, I don't know, pizza, someone whose favourite musician is Dappy, that kind of crap. You? I've got 9am start, Monday and Wednesday. Fuck. Yeah. It's alright though. Uh, we're going to this thing at the SU later. They're playing The Dark Knight and then drinks are like half price or... Um, so um, do you want to come? I've just seen it. Yeah, but my, my friends would... Well, my friends would like to meet you. Bring um, Alex if you want. Yeah. All right, maybe. Are you okay? I want to take a moment here and tell you about my favourite book. It's called The Gunslinger by Stephen King, the first in this series he wrote called The Dark Tower. And I know that it isn't exactly highbrow literature or anything, and in eight years they'll make a shit film of it which will ruin its reputation, but still. It's about this, well, cowboy, basically, in a different universe to ours, a desert, searching for, well, the, the Dark Tower, which is always on the horizon, always out of reach. And then this boy, Jake, he dies in our universe. He gets hit by a car and he wakes up in the desert of the gunslinger's universe. And he says to the gunslinger, and I'll always remember this part, he says, there are other worlds than these. That's the important part. Fast forward the next year, May 2010. Ready? Yep. <sighs> Why would I care? It's not like it would ever make a fucking difference. What do you mean, why would you care? Have you not seen the fucking news? You really think I watch the news? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you're an ignorant dick who needs to pull his head out of his own ass long enough to see what's going on out there. I don't want to. What? Watch the fucking news! See? Exactly. Why the fuck you did psychology? Head up your own fucking ass. I don't like Hugh Edwards. What? I just... I don't like him, okay? There's something behind his eyes that I don't trust. It's like a Welsh evil. Look, why does this even matter to you so suddenly? Sam, look, I know you told me to register, but I forgot, all right? Sam, look, oh, seriously, why do you care? I'd met someone. She, Emily, was a she, which... I didn't expect to be perfectly honest and it was so cliche, man. She didn't know and I didn't even attempt to make any kind of move. In fact, 
I ended up sleeping with Bobby Richardson that month. I didn't know that. Yeah. And he cried. During. Well, somehow I'm not surprised. But all I could think about was how it would feel to touch her arm, her hair. She wasn't doing sports, but we had mutual friends. Politics. Oh. Outside squirt. It's student night. Thursday. Feet walk on sticky concrete and vomit. Sam and Emily stand close. They're leaning against the wall. Ultraviolet blue picking out a thread on Em's top. The spilt drink on her shoes and her smile. She talks to Sam about the state of the country. About anger and hope and the system. About uh, Thatcher and Blair. And about there now being a choice despite people saying otherwise. And Sam tries to be smart here, though she is way out of her depth and has had a bit too much. But it's not Blair now. Sam says confidently. It's Brown. Em laughs and takes a swig. She tells Sam about Lucas. Who's he? She laughs again. Uh, Caroline, the Greens? She... Oh, uh, a text from Kerry. They're going to get chips. Do you want to go? No. I want to stay here with you. Is what Sam thinks. I want to kiss you. I want to feel the warmth of your tongue against mine. I want to press my hand against you. I want to take you home. Is what Sam feels. But... Yeah. Okay. Cool. Is what she says. Well, Alex didn't register either, if that makes any difference. Fuck Alex. And fuck the Lib Dems, apparently. Way to go. It wouldn't have made a difference. Turns out her family is minted. Like, weekly Waitrose shop minted. I visited her that summer at her family's holiday home in Devon. Pastel-coloured house on the coast. Sea salt in the air. Feet walk on cobbled pavements. There's a smeg fridge in their kitchen. Crispy chips and ice cream. Sit on a wall by the sea. Oh, fucking great, mate. Like... Literally, the best first date you could think of, if that's what it was. Lips sweet and salty, cider and sea. We go back to her family's holiday home and... In a few years' time, Sam will tell her about the fact that because so many people are buying second homes on the coast, houses there are almost 12 times the average salary in the area. She'll say that she knows that, Sam. She'll say that I'm being over the top, that I should stop being so fucking self-righteous. But that's later. Okay, I want to explain something. Start simple. So, you know how we call colours by their names? Like red is called red, blue is called blue, and so on. So, it's simple philosophy, but what if your red is not the same colour as my red? What if we both call it red, but my red looks like your purple? Or your red actually looks like my green? There's no way, is there, of knowing if my red is exactly the same colour as your red. We can only describe it by saying it's red. Dark red, light red, blood red. Like purple, except without the blue. But your red might be completely different to mine. Your blood, green, your grass, maroon, but because I can't actually see through your eyes, we'll never know. Keep that in mind. 
Anne takes me through it all, her views, and I swim in it. Sometimes in bed, I see her from the top down, right? So her scalp and the top of her nose and her eyelashes. Sleeping in her childhood duvet, her head resting low on the pillow. Her face and body are a mountain I want to get lost in, scale, traverse and conquer. Her mind is so big, so vast and complicated and funny and sleep-stained smiles. Charity shop singles playing on this old vinyl player she gets me. Coffee and chipped mugs in the morning. Missing lectures and a duvet-draped dream. I mean, fuck. She takes me to these rallies. I sign up to the NSU. We hold a protest at the uni alongside those student ones outside the Tory headquarters. We're standing on this statue, right? And we've put this banner on it so it looks like the statue's holding it, joining in. We stand there, chanting, singing. I hold her hand and I think I love her. Okay, so we're back to 2011 and the internet's a bit shit still. There's no Zoom and bandwidth is variable. So in this next bit, imagine us glitching and getting pixelated every so often. Or not, your call. Hi. Hi. Uh, how is mum? She's all right. Well, she's shit, but you know. How's work? It's all right. Well, it's shit, but you know. Jacob didn't go back to uni after the first year. When people ask him why, he tells them that... Oh, the system's just crap, man. One evening, he tells me that... That just can't be all there is. It can't be. And I think that's more like the truth. Mum got laid off. Ethel Austin went bust, forced redundancy. In a month or two, she'll ask Jacob to move out. He'll get a flat share with some postgrads, move from job to job to cover the rent. Okay, so here is where a lot of responses were very similar when we talked to people in 2018. A lot of minimum wage jobs, zero hour contracts, unpaid overdrafts, rent prices barely covered by payslips. The job centre, whether or not you went to uni. And taking another job in retail, even if you didn't know the first thing about clothes. Stacking supermarket shelves during the night. Pulling pints, making coffees. For too long, for too little. But then, at least you've got a job, right? At least you've got a roof over your head. At least you don't have to flee the fucking country that you were born in just to get away from war and torture and death, just to survive. And then, in 2020, they told us about the things that they'd lost. Their work, for one. Uh, Two months of income already. £300 of their monthly earnings. Um, The courage to even dream about the future on a personal and professional level. Any feeling of security, complacency, that they now know the worst can happen. That they'll have to retrain. That they love their work, but it isn't sustainable. They had lost, they told us, any feeling of... Everything will work out okay in the end. And instead, they were filled with a 
weariness and listlessness. But it could be worse, right? Let's carry on. I sign up to everything, like literally everything. Gumtree, Monster, Job Site, Indeed, Prospect, Splash Find, LinkedIn, Link Up, Read, Adzuna, Universal Fucking Job Match, and I apply. And here's one thing, right? Why do they get you to fill in all your qualifications and previous job experience, all that, on some stupid form on their website only to ask you to upload your CV at the end anyway? I mean, what's the point in that? Or you get to an interview, right, but they're obviously already chosen who they're hiring and make it out like they're doing you a favour. I took an online test to work at Greg's. And I failed. And? Nothing. Sometimes, actually, most often, nothing at all. Like, not even a, sorry, not this time, email. It's completely set up against you. What do you mean? It's just... Nah. Hey, do you think Bowie would have failed the test to work at Greg's? When they report on the inquest, some papers will refer to Jake as egotistical and manipulative... They have these photos of him wearing those sunglasses indoors. And he does look the part. But that's later. Okay, 2011. We'd all heard the statistic, the 1% versus the 99. And we were going to take it down. Challenge it, claim it back, restructure it all. How? Through community, through communication, through... Communism? No, no, this is different. We're going to rethink the whole idea of politics. She didn't even have an idea of politics until last year. You should come. Get a megabus. It was a week after where we started this just now. I was on my way to Skelmersdale, but I hadn't told Sam yet. Uh, I can't afford it. Fuck off. We've made a banner and everything. Oh, is it funny? Funny? Yeah, like, um... Where's Robin Hood when you need him? Funny. How is that funny? Uh, okay, well, give me a moment. Um, um, uh, okay, okay, what's your say? What's your say? Occupy. That's it. What, the fucking title of the protest? God, that's like when they say the title of the film in the film itself. Okay, that's hypocritical writing right there. You'll see. Anyway. I'm not sure what I expected before I got there, but... Uh, capitalism? More like crapitalism. That'd be my one. Okay, sorry. Banners, backpacks and flags. Feet walk on streets chalked with ideas. It's not just a protest, right? We were going to march, but instead we meet at St Paul's. Sit in groups and talk about what to do next about what to do and about how to do it about how to listen we all agree we'll set up camp here on the cathedral steps there's a guy with a megaphone everything he says we repeat back behind us shouting it so that everyone in the crowd can hear it's proper democracy inclusive someone sets up a kitchen puts tarpaulin and rope and tables together starts feeding people an itinerary is drafted up on a big blackboard. Tents, tents and more tents. All set up as a new society, a new town, 
on the steps of St Paul's. It's the not-supposed-to-be-here quality of it. Feet walk on cracked concrete. Endless, endless roundabouts. Red brick semis, neighbourhood watch, until suddenly... Shit. Uh, Literally, no toilets. Instead, there's a huge queue to the Starbucks. Okay, hang on. You're saying that at this protest against everything that Starbucks embodies, like tax avoidance and all that... At this protest, right, the only way that all these um, occupiers could take a shit was by buying a coffee at Starbucks. I mean, Starbucks, what, literally making money out of your shit? God, that's good. That's fucking irony there, Sam. You weren't there, Jacob. This this was like a real change. We were working to, to restructure... Yeah, but it doesn't work like that, Sam. You can't... I don't know, take down whatever system you think there is by buying a fucking flat white before you can take a crap. We meet these guys from Sheffield that have come down with two tents. They offer to double up so that we can stay too. As we set everything up, people light candles, hang fairy lights and start playing music. I mean, yeah, sure, there was some police shit, but we weren't in that. It was all pretty peaceful, to be fair. Endless, endless roundabouts, until suddenly, there it is. The next day, though, people go home, back to their houses outside of London, to their office jobs on Monday morning. The Sheffield guys have to take their tent back, say they'll be back next Saturday. We decide to find a coach back home get on a National Express with a few other sleep and sweat-stained protesters. And that's the reality. Yeah, they're trapped. I saw it carry on on the news. The next day, all these city workers walked past and the reporter asked them what they thought of it. One of them had a sign. Get a job. Love from the 1%. But for that time, that time we were there, it was something else. Something new. People really talking, really working together, focused on each other, a a community. A group of tents outside St Paul's. People listening, working together. Until... But that's later. Skelmersdale was built to handle the overspill from Merseyside in the 60s. They designed the town completely from the ground up. Houses far away enough from factories, every home with a garden, uh, pedestrianised walkways all over town, playgrounds, trees, dining rooms. It's like a modern utopia, just two miles from the M6. They restructured the idea of a town. The ideal of a town. Jacob walks through it 50 years later. Feet walk on cracked concrete, weeds and graffiti push through the pavements. He's just completed his first session in the Golden Dome. Transcendental meditation is taught one-on-one with a licensed practitioner. It's a skill passed down from the Maharaji, and there's like seven levels, all costing slightly more. It clears your mind, accesses your subconscious. Life, they tell you, Ellen and David Lynch, and the Beatles, is like the top of the ocean choppy, unpredictable. But underneath, 
underneath is calm and true and... Real. But I don't tell her about this, Sam. About Skilmersdale. About moving on from the transcendental to something else. About flying, about the group. Not until she visits. Later. We moved in together. Well, I moved into a flat that, get this right, Em's parents had bought for her. In London, wanted to help start her off. Dalston. Feet walk on rent-free floorboards. Oh, and there's a smeg fridge in the kitchen. We get into a fight about bananas. Well, it's more than just bananas, but... Okay, 10,000 young people were marching. Clegg had been a little bitch and rolled right over on his tuition fee pledge. She didn't want to come. And she'd bought these bananas? Okay, actually, maybe it was the Cocoa Pops. The way they were sat there next to the bananas on top of the fridge, proudly. So we shared bills and shopping, right? For the past three months, I'd been working at the council's leisure centre down the road. She hadn't even looked. For a job, that is. Didn't see the point, you know, what with all her parents' money and all. But still, we shared the cost equally. And she'd gone and bought branded cereal. And next to this box was a bunch of bananas, right? So she spends the extra two quid on branded Cocoa Pops, but won't stretch to fair trade bananas. At uni, we'd started a petition through the SU for the canteen to serve fair trade food. It was her idea, actually. If she couldn't afford it, fine. But they're sat there next to that fucking monkey on top of that fucking smeg fridge. I know, I know, it seems stupid, but... Look, I'd already mentioned the house price thing. I'd already mentioned how I thought it was weird that she wasn't even looking for work. I'd already mentioned that I actually wanted to do something with my life. And what about her? What about her politics degree? We were in London, for fuck's sake. Living there for fucking free. And we weren't fucking doing anything. And that was it. You know, one of those things that isn't actually a thing, but a valve that lets the real thing loose. And then, like, I never... Never mind. Okay, it's around this point when I start writing everything down. Like, thoughts, feelings, ideas. It'll become the blog they'll all refer to later. For now, it's just... Do you remember the colours? My blue might not be your blue. Okay, I want to try something out. I want you, listening to this, to relax. To, to take a deep breath. And then close your eyes. Just let that breath out. Okay? Now... When you open your eyes, I want you to imagine that you are wearing blue sunglasses. 
Actually, imagine that we were all born wearing these blue sunglasses. Ready? Okay. Open. Everything you see is blue. Whatever's in front of you now, the, the trees, the sky, the road, the dishes in the kitchen sink, the people across from you on the bus, everything coloured in shades of blue. And it has always been that way. And it always will be that way. Okay? Okay. Now, imagine that we can never take off these sunglasses. Blue would just be our reality. Our whole world, our whole universe would be blue. But what if someone could take them off? What if someone could see reality for what it really is? It's reds and yellows and deep purples and silvers. They could see reality. Truth. This is where he gets complicated. It's not... Okay. Kant, right, is a German philosopher. The bookshop I make coffees in, when an employer finally offers me a chance to try out for a, you know, coveted zero-hour minimum wage position in the incredibly hospitable hospitality industry, this bookshop has a few of his books stuffed away in the section no one goes in, and I'm not sure how, but we start reading them, me and Alex. And he says that, Kant says that, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he says that we are kind of already wearing blue sunglasses, right? We can't see real reality because we can only experience it through the limitations of our own senses. So everything is blue? No, no, it's just our sight, our hearing, our sense of time. They're all like really complex blue sunglasses that limit how we experience reality, right? Right. We can never actually experience objective reality because we can only ever experience it through our senses. So like we can't actually see reality. We can only see what our eyes can see. We can't really experience like like time and space, for example, as they actually are, because we can't escape the fact that we've evolved to exist in a three-dimensional understanding of space along a linear understanding of time. But maybe space, time, reality isn't like that. Maybe it's something else entirely, but we can never get to it. It's like always out of reach or on the horizon or, or right on top of us, but invisible. But how would you know that reality isn't what we see? How could you prove that? Uh-huh. Well, we already do know. Okay, right now, Faye, what can you see? Mm, the laptop, I can see mm-hmm. you through Zoom. Yep. Uh, my phone. Yeah, good, except that's a lie. Okay, uh, I can see um, the trees outside, I can see some books, uh, some notes on my shelf. Yeah, but you... You don't see any of those things. You think you see those things, but your brain is only conjuring up images that can understand from data that is received through your eyes. Only reflections of beams of light, not even the objects themselves. You never even actually see anything but light. I mean, things might look completely different, be completely different, and we would just never know. That's depressing. Is it? Kant calls this reality that we can't experience the Dingansich, the thing in itself. And we're always like one step away from it. We can never really get to it. It's always on the horizon, underneath the surface. For now. Tense, again. Tense and tense and tense, as far as the eye can see. Feet walk on mud and glitter and spilt beer. Portaloo stink. I managed to get us tickets last year. Saved up. Jacob paid me back. 
I didn't trust the internet at home though, so got to a library early that morning. Laptop, phone and the decrepit library desktop all open on the same page. Refresh, refresh, refresh. There's a few decent bands on. A great flag of Teresa running through a field of wheat. Some EU banners below that. Then the chant starts. Thousands and thousands. Nothing like it before. Then he's there. Like a collective granddad. Smart shirt and sweat stains. White beard. Smile. God, can you imagine anyone in the Tory party doing anything remotely like this? Sam stands there, sweating beer, glitter peeling off her face. She doesn't know that I am sitting in a tent a few fields away. Cross-legged, eyes closed, repeating, repeating, repeating. Others sit facing me. They've followed the blog, the tweets, the YouTube videos. They have come to see him, to hear the ideas, to meditate, to get closer to the thing in itself. Each person in that tent wears a pair of sunglasses or goggles or spectacles. Blue-eyed insects, they look towards me. It's the sense, he says, of unlocking the potential in all of us that I find so inspiring. Everyone we meet, he says, is unique. Everyone we meet knows something we don't. Everyone we meet is slightly different to us in some way. Don't see them as a threat, he says. Don't see them as an enemy. See them as a source of knowledge, a source of friendship, and a source of inspiration. Let us come together and recognise another world is possible. He quotes a poet, Percy Shelley. Rise like lions after slumber, in unvanquishable number. Shake your chains to earth like dew, which in sleep hath fallen on you. The crowd roars. Rise like lions. The year before, I joined Momentum, campaigned online or outside for the election, knocked on doors. Some people wonder why we got behind him so much, why we cared about this allotment-keeping uncle figure. But like, here, in this moment, among the crowd, you can feel it, the energy, the urge for change. When I started working as a teaching assistant, I met more local people around Stratford. Kids and parents and teachers. This one kid, year eight, asked me what my house was like. I said I shared it with a few other people. He said his family live in one room, a few streets down from the school. Not just like two parents and him though. He has three younger brothers, his mum and dad, his uncle and his gran, in one room. I did some research, right? And it turns out our house in Newham is 14 times the average annual salary, two more than that pastel village on the coast. Half of the privately rented houses here are overcrowded. And the, the council knows this because they wanted to see why so many people are so unhappy and unhealthy. In 2012, right, when the Olympics came to this borough, 
Newham had the lowest household income in the whole of London. I don't know, and I'm not trying to throw facts and figures out here, and I know it's not just a local problem, and that doesn't even take into account the people on the streets or in work poverty, fucking knife gangs and all the other shit too. And I know it's not just London, I know, but that kid and his family in a room, that's why I decided to care. Let us come together and recognise another world is possible. There has to be better than this, more than this. Alex dies. Yeah. That feels kind of out of place here. I didn't give you some dramatic lead up, but there wasn't. I haven't even mentioned Alex in ages. It is out of place because it was hit by a car. He lived like right by me when he finished uni. He'd drop into the bookshop, get a free mocker off me and sit and read some crap sci-fi book. We'd talk about the camp stuff, the, the Ding an sich, the unreachable place just under the surface. At his funeral, my feet walk on dirt suffocated bodies, awkward tie, shined shoes, sunglasses. I talk to his parents, I tell them about the thing in itself. I give them a copy of The Gunslinger, hit by a car, wakes up in the desert. They nod politely. I find out a few months later that some people came up to them after the funeral, told them that Alex would come back at the end of the world. Now they wait for it to happen. Lucky for them, feels like it's getting closer. Let us come together and recognise another world is possible. It's like... That was a schism. A shift, you know? In another universe, another world, whatever, Alex had walked one step slower that day. In another, he slept in an extra hour. Or in another, cars didn't even exist and everyone just rode around on skateboards and no one ever got run over. But in this one... In this one, in the Golden Dome, in Skelmersdale, they're flying in a tent on the edge of a lake that is drowning a town. We will fly further. I get right into it. I have to. I mean, how can people can see what these guys are putting us through but can't get off their asses and do something about it? Why do so many of my friends not care? Why do they ignore the headlines and Facebook shares and Instagram adverts? And then I look, and I think that's the dangerous thing. This came up a lot, talking to people, like cropping out their sadness online. You can't help but compare, can you? Jobs, holidays, days out, girlfriends, whatever. Like, I know that barbecue you went to was probably a bit shit, to be honest, but you've managed to slap the right filter onto a nice photo of you all smiling. Looks fun. Wasn't invited. And I know, I do it too. (laughs) Trying to make my life look better than it is. We'll only post Instagram-worthy food. Ignoring the noodles you cooked in your pants, rushing to get back to your Netflix binge. 
but like it still affects you you know I don't think you do Jake I think it's another level of reality for you to ignore I left university because I thought I wasn't good enough Sam I get it and I suppose I shouldn't care and I don't but I do but I throw myself into it the campaign just because we'd lost doesn't mean we can't still fight this whole government is screwing us over by being fucking children in the europe negotiations we need to get people on our side and soon enough we'll have another one election i mean surely surely they'll see that we need a a change a hope won't they I don't know it yet, how bad it will be at the next one. I haven't yet felt that punch, that kick to the gut when the exit polls read out. That slow, sinking feeling that we'll have another five years of it. The slower to come understanding over the next six, seven months, spreading over me like, like rot. And as I take off my mask and wash my hands that it is because of this that we have got what we've got, that we have lost what we've lost. It's because of him and them, but it's also because of us, because we lost and we will continue to lose. But now, here, before all of that, I remain hopeful, oblivious, placing my trust in a hoped-for future that in, like, two years' time will be gone, wiped out. I still had, have, had hope, you know, for something, for another, for a chance, at least. In a tent on the edge of a lake, they're flying. We grew up near it, the lake. We took a dinghy out on it when we were younger, hung out there with friends as teenagers drinking cheap vodka out of a plastic bottle. It's man-made, it's a reservoir, really, created in the 60s. As Skelmersdale was built, another town was destroyed. They flooded it to make the lake, one of the last Welsh-only-speaking villages. 35 out of 36 Welsh MPs opposed it. One didn't vote. And 48 people who lived in the valley lost their homes, drowned, submerged under this lake. The post office, the school, the chapel, the cemetery, a a Quaker meeting house. All still there, just lost, unreachable, under the surface. And sometimes when it hasn't rained for just long enough, you'll see the spire of the chapel just just trying to come through, trying to come back, and and then it's gone again. When I get there, he shows me the we'll call it a camp, alongside the lake. Tents and tents and tents. Scaffolding poles and pallets and tarps strung together to make meeting rooms. He takes me through the tents... Home. ..he calls it. Lines of earth raked into the field. Seedlings sprouting, the smell of frying onions and garlic coming from large pots steaming in a makeshift outdoor kitchen. A bonfire three small dogs sleeping in the shade. 
Candles, fairy lights, prayer flags. Feet walk on grass and stone. Tents and tents and tents. How many? Uh, 40 at last count. But it sounds like we have more coming this weekend. How do you know? They tweeted. He motions to a makeshift fence, strung up with solar panels. A child runs past, chased by another with a tree branch. They're laughing. Jake. Wait. Here. And then, suddenly. Suddenly. A golden glow in front of me, stretching from left to right, covering my vision. Remember what I told you about Skelmersdale? The town off the M6, with the meditation temple. No, a dome. This isn't it. This isn't what they did. This is um something else. But, like, that got me thinking, got me into it. And then all these people, they just believed, you know? They listened. I, I never... She walks, a, I walk, up to it. A huge tent, yellow and orange and gold. She touches it. I touch it. Sam touches it. The not-supposed-to-be-there tent. On the edge of a lake that is drowning a town. Never what, Jake? Never... Never expected this. These people, but... Here they are. Inside the tent, they are flying. Blue sunglasses. Minds flowing. Down to the submerged chapel. Out to the factories of Skelmersdale, in to to reality, to, to truth. Later. On the bank of the lake. So, what's going to happen? We'll live. Here? Well, why not? Nah. There must be some kind of rules about this. You can't just set up a camp just anywhere. Can't we? I mean, we seem to be doing all right at the moment. But the press, the council... Well, people like that decided to destroy the town just out there. We've just created a replacement, a home. But you have a home, Jacob. You have a home and a job. And what about that camp in Calais, right? All those refugees, people who had no home because we decided to bomb the shit out of it. What is this? Like some kind of middle-class reenactment or, or commercialised camp experience? What? You know it's not. You were at Occupy. Like you told me about the structure there, the, the tents, the community, the change. How is this any different? No, that was real, Jacob. We were going to restructure the system. It was going to change the world. Yeah, and did it? Will this? No. I mean, it doesn't need to. You really believe all of this? That we can't see things? That nothing is real? That nothing matters? What difference does it make? I mean, look. That guy there. He came in the first wave of people, brought vegetable seedlings. He cooks for everyone. He loves it. Has such pride and happiness in being able to help do something. And over there, she worked in Weatherspoons, and, and, and the person next to her, he was an investment banker until last month. Now, they're helping each other learn how to meditate. They've never been happier. Look, it doesn't matter whether I believe in Kant or his reality or anything. The point is, these guys have got a purpose. 
we created a new thing. But you do believe. Okay, and what about you? Have you found your purpose? For, for some reason, these guys look to me for something. Or not to me exactly, but what I represent. This community, this new town. Jake, do you charge them? What? Oh, well, I read up on that meditation stuff and it's a lot of money. Celebrities and stuff, they pay thousands. No, look, I told you this is different. It's a bit cultish. Charlie Manson-like. <sighs> Sorry. Sorry, that, that was unfair. I'm just... Jake, this seems like, I don't know, a waste. Look, if people are unhappy, we can sort it out. It all stems back to this system set up against them that keeps them yeah, this, from... Just it, Sam. There is no fucking system. I mean, or if there is, it's so fully fucking entrenched in whatever your reality is that it's literally impossible to make any slight change. Why are you so pissed off with me? What? You think some government grandpa in gardening gloves is going to make a fucking difference to anything? You think that a group of students shouting to themselves on social media will de-rig the whole capitalist money fucking world? That is the world, Sam. That's your world. Nothing is going to change that. I've seen your posts, Sam. I've watched and listened to the whole fucking gang of you calling each other comrade like you're some socialist Leninist martyrs. I mean, come the fuck off it. You're like little children. Oh, and you're not. Running away to a fucking, a fucking lake to play house with a group of people who are so fucking incompetent that they just run from reality when the going gets tough. Come and meditate, guys. Close your fucking eyes and the whole problem just goes away. Simple, isn't it? Well, that's not enough for some people, Jacob. Some people need to feed their family from a fucking food bank. Some people need to flee their fucking country and live somewhere safe. Some people don't know how they're going to make it through to the next week without a fucking payday loan because, yes, the whole fucking system is buggered and I actually care and want to do something about it. You know, just sit here and meditate all you want. You can believe in reality or not, but from where I'm standing, it's fucking real. And real people are hurting. And there's got to be something better than this. Yeah, but that's just it, Sam. There is. Oh, fuck off, Jake. In a lake like this, a lake that was a village before, there was a palace. Before it was drowned, a cruel man ruled over this palace. He was greedy and harsh and oppressed the people of the village. One day, he decided to hold a huge feast in celebration of his rule, inviting other noblemen, lords and princes around the land. Some refused to come, as they didn't want to associate with such a barbaric leader, but many still came to the feast to 
eat his fine food, to drink his slave-made wine, and to bask in the glory of his golden throne. The prince had hired the most accomplished musician in the land to play at his feast, and although this musician didn't agree with how the prince ruled over his village, he knew that the payment would feed him and his family for a year, so he agreed to play. However, the nobleman that came to the prince's feast didn't care for the musician's playing, and they largely ignored his beautiful music throughout the evening. But nevertheless, the musician played on. And suddenly, as he was playing, the musician heard a very quiet voice breathing right behind his ear. He couldn't make it out properly, however, and he carried on with his playing. But then the voice came again, a little louder this time. Vengeance will come, it said. Vengeance will come. Startled, the musician turned around only to see a small bird perched on the sill of the open window, its little eyes staring directly into his. Vengeance will come, said the bird, and flew off out the window. Now, the musician was intrigued. He followed the bird out onto the balcony. It waited in the air, seeming to beckon him forward, and the musician climbed down and followed the bird. Together, they climbed the valley, continuing up and up, feet walking on Welsh stone, until, with the village and palace far below them, the bird perched itself on a rock. The musician sat down next to it, and as they both looked down on the village below, the bird sang the most beautiful song that the musician had ever heard. Slowly, but surely, the musician, exhausted by the climb and lulled by the music, fell into a deep, comfortable sleep. And when he woke, he was surprised to find that the bird had gone. As he looked around for it, his eyes fell upon the valley below him. Gone was the village and the palace. Instead, a new lake had submerged them both and covered the valley in glistening, crystal-clear water. And some say that there are now still nights when the moon is dark, that you can still see the lights of the palace submerged just beneath the surface of the lake, just out of reach. What about the villages, the oppressed, the slaves? They drowned. Hello there. Sorry to disturb you. I just wondered if... afternoon. Sorry to bother you. Uh, do you have a few moments to talk? Okay, uh, well, can I leave you at... No? Oh, all right. Thanks anyway. Hi. How are you this afternoon? Great. Um, do you have a few moments to discuss the Labour Party? Well, that's a bit harsh. Okay, thanks. Bye. Twat. Hey, Owen Jones is here. He's down the other road, partnered up with someone else. 
you're always partnered up with someone else so it's not as awkward still have some weird conversations though and meet some interesting people and some dickheads still it actually feels like you're doing something worthwhile you know people can look at you a bit funny when you say you're volunteering with momentum hard left group they call us alt left i mean calling it the labor legends project is a bit of a dick move but it's distributed activism in action with decentralized decision making and can properly strategically target the constituencies that we need to keep I'm in Crewe, which we won two years back in 2017. And which they'll lose in a few months' time. And I'm staying with another quote-unquote legend in a secondary school teacher's spare room. Every day we target another part of the constituency. It's the little things, right? The talks to people, it matters, doesn't it? Can't all have a fucking festival on the bank of a lake. Oh, hello. Uh, Sorry to disturb you this afternoon. We're from Momentum and we're just wondering if you've got any time to talk about... She doesn't hear his reply because she's staring at the blue sunglasses he's wearing inside. It's the colour of them, the not-supposed-to-be-there nature of them. Sam, you should probably say something now. He stopped talking a while ago. Oh, uh, uh... Have you seen a copy of the manifesto? I'm sorry, can I... Can I just ask you about your sunglasses? I mean, I don't mean to be... If it's a health thing or dyslexia, I'm... I'm, Ah. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... Yeah, if you see it like that, then who you vote for wouldn't... All right. Can I, can I just ask you one thing? How did you find out about all of this? I tell my campaign partner I have to leave and I Google it on the bus back to the place I'm staying. At first, I don't really know what to search for. Blue sunglasses, Kant, Gunslinger Commune, Skemmelsdale offshoot. And then I find it, tons of it. Twitter, YouTube, thread after thread on Reddit. A blog with links to philosophy videos, pictures of the, what, camp? Commune? Cool? I miss my stop, scrolling through comment after comment, posts about the nature of reality, the unreality of it, that it's meaningless, that it doesn't matter, that there's something else, something bigger, always something bigger, elsewhere just beneath the surface a camp by a lake. But there's people here in America, France, Australia, all talking about this, whatever it is, this escape from reality. A few days later, I get a call. Hello? Sam, Sam. Jake, what, it's what, what? Sam, I, I, I never wanted this, this is, oh shit. Okay, what's happened? Take a minute, just... Have you not seen the news? What? No, I... I, I Google it, Google it. 
Google what? I... Oh, I still have the search open on my browser. The top result is a video from a news site a few hours ago. A 19-year-old man who is claimed to have been involved in what has been described by police as an online cult has died by suicide. His parents claim that their son was targeted oh, and driven to take his own life by a fanatical group who have a following online. Jake. According to the pair, their son was singled out by a group of followers through online forums before being persuaded to take his own life. Sam. The group Sam. Jake, I... I don't know what to do. Just... Just tell me it's not my fault. It's not your fault, Jake. But... I've seen the forums online. It's... You can't blame yourself. But... Look, do you want to finish now, or...? No, no, let's carry on to the end. Okay. When we decided to make this piece, one of the main problems we had was addressing all the ideas and hopes and worries that people had given us in a way that made, well, sense. Yeah, the right way. A way that wasn't just a BuzzFeed listicle of um, things millennials find fucking annoying. Top ten reasons why young people aren't buying a house right now. <laughs> this young person suffers from anxiety and crippling debt. What happens next will shock you. That's why we're here. To tell it to you as a story, just a story about two twins, some tents, a town under a lake, sadness, hope, something. Some of it's true. Not this bit, though. I get another call the next day. It's Mum. I go there as quick as I can. He's in hospital. But I can't go into his room yet. They're not finished with him. I hold mum as she cries into my shoulder. I'm surprised at how thin she's got, how old she seems suddenly. I hadn't seen it happen. Later, a lot later, I can go in. I go down the corridor, feet walk on disinfected lino. He's at the far end of the room, propped up on a white pillow. Tubes up his nose and in his arm. He looks at me flatly. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? It's alright. Well, it's shit, but you know. How's mum? She's okay. Do you need anything? No, no. Thank you. Jacob, I, I know... I know it must be shit. You know, what was the... But you... I'm here for you. You know, you can talk to me. Oh, no. Uh, I'm sorry that I haven't. <laughs> what? It's like... Do you remember that old John Carpenter film? The one with the guy with the mullet. Um, they're here. They live... They live, yeah, yeah. The mullet guy, he finds those sunglasses and can suddenly see the world as it really is, like adverts and TV secretly telling everyone to work and sleep and spend and, and grow mullets, I guess. What do you mean? Well, that's what happened to you. You found your own sunglasses. Jake. I just walked. Till the village under the lake. 
I kept on walking, and when the water reached my face, I didn't stop. I just... I wanted to get underneath the surface. I'm sorry. Can we stop now? Can it stop? Can you please just take off those fucking sunglasses? Please. Try them on. Oh, Jake. Please, Sam. Okay. Can you see it? Yeah. Yeah, I I can I can see it. It's oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> Bullshit. What? There's nothing there. It's a it's a metaphor, Sam. It's always been a metaphor. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But like, is it is it wrong for people to really like really believe in something? I don't think many people do these days. I think you'd be surprised. People want to know there's more to life. What do you want in life? My life is a list of things I haven't done. Ugh, sorry, that was crap. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Oh, ah, mind, mind the tubes. Oh, sorry. No. Where do we go from here? Um, well, you go back to fighting for what you believe in. I'm not. What? Well, fighting for me, for my beliefs. You sure? Yeah. Rise like lions after slumber. It's for that. It's for another chance. Yeah, so was Skillsdale. In another dimension, reality or whatever, do you think he's still around? What, Dad? I don't know. Um, what do you think? I think... Oh, I don't know what I think. I think maybe that's enough. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe we have to get on with what we have. Where we are, when we are the moment like if we're stuck in the past or the future or elsewhere it's just too much it's all it's all it's all too big dad would have liked that what you just said he would have agreed it's all too big that's what no, she that's said what... <sighs> I'm not my campaign Jacob like I know you're not this commune or you weren't a barista or weren't a dropout you're not your job I'm not my campaign then what are we? more than that we're hopeful
People told us when we asked them that they hoped less as they got further into their 20s, then their 30s, that the hope for stability, for fulfilment, for understanding or for some sense that the world is getting better, that people can progress more, that people will be safer and understood and respected more, the hope for all of those things got smaller. They said they used to be interested in campaigning or protesting, but it feels like these can't achieve change now and sometimes I stop listening to politics for self-preservation. That the idea of their future gave them mixed feelings, but mostly meh. That their Instagram account was compensation for feeling like a failure. Fake success is better than nothing. An online illusion of what you should be. Survival. Shame. Then, as things collapsed around us two years later, we asked them again. And their answers then were a little more complicated. Some anxiety and depression had gone up. But they also said that they'd had the most time to myself that I've ever had. It was kind of what I would expect, to be honest. Half of them said they were mostly hopeful. But then the other half said they were mostly hopeless. And through those answers, that sense of loss got bigger. What do you mean by that? OK, well, here's one. Um, as an immigrant in the UK, my circle of friends has already been limited. Losing, they say, even just Friday night socialising during the quarantine has seriously affected my emotional well-being. Yeah, but then another said that lockdown has provided me with the time to think about what I really want to get out of my life in the near future. And another said that they feel lucky that they're in a secure job. Yeah, but that's the same person, though, who said that they are uh, worried about several family members, that one has already been made redundant, and that six other members of their family have worries over their work futures. Hmm... Another person told us that they're so fortunate that we do not know anyone personally who has lost a life and that they don't think they've lost anything, but rather experienced what they called unplanned and undesired shifts. Yes. Um, and here, uh, my uncle died of COVID-19 and I haven't seen my one-year-old niece in six months and I've lost my work. I've lost, they said, my effervescence. Some told us that they find the uncertainty the hardest, that they cannot really look into the future or even look forward to things in the same way. I do not believe that things will not get back to the way they were, said one, but it will take time for sure to start being hopeful again. I don't feel hopeless, so Mom told us, but I'm not sure hopeful fits. Throughout this whole time, there's like lost possibilities, this lost future that's there somewhere somewhere unreachable now, just below the surface. It's just, yeah, there's hopelessness there, for sure. But there is some hope, too. It's 50-50, and, like, maybe if we try, that hopeful half might, could, should, win out. We know that, that we want change, we need change, but I'm not sure we really know how to do it. Or we don't have the right tools, people, politicians. So instead of building a new working society, or instead of reclaiming an old one, we wrote and then rewrote a play about drowned villages and university and a silly fake commune. I think it's better than nothing. If you say so. 
Okay, that's all we've got. There's no more story, no more questions, no more non-answers. Thanks so much for listening. Cheers. Like Lions was written by Tom Drayton and script editing was by Leah Francis. Sam was played by me, Faye Britton. Jacob was played by Tom Drayton and B.B. Francis played the newsreader. Original music was written and performed by the Dagan Smiths. Extra sound effects were provided by Zatzblatt and Freesound and the piece was edited by Tom Drayton. Like Lions was originally produced on stage in 2018 and was inspired by workshops around the UK with 25 to 34 year olds, built from what they told us about their hopes, dreams and worries about the country. In 2020, we contacted these participants and asked new ones to update us on how the coronavirus crisis had impacted their outlook. We'd like to extend a special thanks to all of the workshop participants and respondents in both 2018 and 2020 for providing the material to make like lions, and to James Glynn, who first brought Jacob to life. Like Lions was produced by Pregnant Fish Theatre. Find us on Facebook at Pregnant Fish Theatre or Instagram and Twitter at Pregnant Fish Co. Thanks for listening.